0: This or no? Levin, 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 Levin. This is Zachar Vegan, them. Yo, it's Nicho. Sitaku Benza, Anika Two Outlaws on the Lamb, taking the back roads through America. You
1: can't drink enough coffee for this show. And now it's time for Monday Madness with the Moped Outlaws, Greg and Mark.
0: I'm getting a strange sense of deja vu. Like I've been here before.
1: We have all been here before. (laughs) That's what happens after you die. (laughs) You Just go back and do it again.
0: Like some crazy movie.
1: Yeah. So it's Groundhog Day Wednesday.
0: This coming up Wednesday, it's Groundhog Day, February 2nd. Yep. Puxatawney Phil, the supposedly 120-something-year-old groundhog who every year is given a magic elixir in the summer, which makes it so that he can live another year. Hey, did you do any research on this? Where the hell do you think I got that factoid?
1: Really? Right, so what was the very first Pux-a-honey, um forecast? Like, what was it like? How did it happen?
0: Um what do you think? I know everything?
1: No. Um, <laughs> you know about some magic elixir, some weird pagan trip keeping books <laughs> Um It stems from
0: a ritual that was brought over from Europe um, that was originally started to by the pagans as uh, a festival called it's Imbolc. Like... It's what? Embolic. The Pagan Festival. And as it spread through Europe, Bullock evolved into something called Candlemas, right? Because, of course, you can't be Christian and practice uh, paganism. And um, basically, it started with Christians believe that a sunny Candlemas meant another 40 days of cold and snow. Then the Germans, as it says here on History.com, developed their own take on the legend, pronouncing the day sunny only if badgers and other small animals glimpsed their shadows, then in the eighteenth century, some German immigrants moved to Pennsylvania ah! and they brought the custom with them and they chose the native ground dog as their um,
1: their rodent their annual choice.
0: forecaster yeah um,
1: is a badger a rodent no.
0: It's a badger. Uh, it is a, what does it say here? Um, if you'd only let me read in order, I would have answered that.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, but the first official Groundhog Day, which is what you asked about, was on February 7th, 1887. 1887. And uh, there was a group of businessmen and groundhog hunters, it turned out, mm-hmm. known collecti- collectively as the Punxsutawney Groundhog Club. And a guy named Clymer Frias, who was a local newspaper editor, decided that he was going to like pull together this whole Groundhog Day thing. And so these men went to a place called Gobbler's Knob. Yeah. <laughs> where the inaugural Groundhog Day became the bearer of bad news when he saw his shadow. So the first one was that more winter was coming because he saw his shadow. Wow. Um and nowadays they they um it's the inner circle is the name of the group that runs it, and they all wear top hats and they conduct their official proceedings in Pennsylvania Dutch dialect. And then apparently they speak groundhog ease to the groundhog. Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's brilliant. <coughs> That's now, funny. In, so they were, they were first hunters of groundhogs.
0: Yeah, they probably made groundhog stew. Because, you know, they were running around. Especially because he
1: said more winter. They're like, well, yeah, guess what? Mm -hmm. Now you're soup.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, because that particular guy, they didn't make him into soup. They probably were asked this by their daughters. You didn't put him in the, the, the soup, did you, Dad? And they're like, no. They lied to
1: their daughters.
0: Or sons or whatever. And so... Apparently, that's where the whole legend of giving him this this juice in summer that helped him live forever because it's, you know, supposedly Puxitani Phil's 100 and some odd years old.
1: So, it's the same groundhog year after year after year.
0: According to this.
1: <coughs> He's in hell.
0: I would feel like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So the the origins of Embolic are kind of interesting because it was a pagan holiday that was supposed to mark the halfway point between winter solstice and spring equinox. And it's supposedly the first day of spring under that sort of framework.
1: Hmm.
0: It's the beginning of, of the rise of spring. And it's pre-Christian and it started in the British Isles. Um,
1: they have a lot of sex to commemorate the day.
0: Uh, Well, I don't know. I would. Um, (laughs) It's been speculated that this stems from the breeding cycle of sheep and the beginning of lactation,
1: Hmm.
0: which is the sheep start lactating on this day, I think. And that's what because they're, you know, they're finally
1: specifically on this day. Not a day before, not a day after February. Right. And of
0: course, because pagans all had calendars and knew what February 2nd was.
1: Right. They probably calendar. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> that they used <laughs> the pagans using the famous Gregorian calendar.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: that's brilliant.
0: So that's kind of the origin of the the Groundhog Day thing. It starts from this pagan ritual that's about, you know, the halfway point between winter solstice and um, wow. springs, the equinox.
1: And then there's the famous movie.
0: Oh, my God. Bill
1: rinse repeat. <laughs> what is it wash rinse repeat.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. Um that film is just such an amazing work of art and uh his the director Harold Ramis yeah. and the, he was also co-writer. It's a masterpiece. Like the more I think about it, okay. like even my dad said this which he said if you watch that film over and over, things will be revealed to you about human nature.
1: (laughs) Well, Bill did such a great job, too, because he's such a curmudgeon at the beginning. Uh And the, the places where he thought he got it right, but it really wasn't in his bones. You know, he was just putting on a show and it doesn't work. And so finally, at the end, he really is transformed. He is a new human.
0: It, it, it here, ties into that whole reincarnation thing really well because it's a metaphor for for the whole evolution of consciousness right. and human um, spiritual development, right? Yeah. If you had to relive every day, and and even in the movie, like he, how many times does he kill himself? Like three, three or four times. Oh
1: well, you see a few, but yeah, he he. There's and definitely- he kills other people. What <laughs> he kills other people too? Does he?
0: Yeah, he takes people out and like uh, car crashes and
1: right, right. There's the jumping off the building. That's the one I remember.
0: Mm-hmm. Why? Why is it that you think you remember that one, Greg?
1: Because I jumped off a building.
0: Yeah, in a past life.
1: No, this life.
0: Oh,
1: yeah. There's oh, something. Yeah. <laughs> that, it, Groundhog Day's a documentary
0: <laughs> about you.
1: No, about Bill. But he's not the only one who has that kind of experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the whole like the alarm goes off at six o'clock and we have to get out of bed. What was the this.
1: song playing? I got you, babe. Yeah. <laughs> well done. <laughs> oh, we should add a Groundhog Day um, quiz. Yeah. Well, oh, well. Too late. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we've got to talk to the producers. Our producers are starting to flail. Well,
0: we just had a quiz of one. You can ask more questions or <laughs> I could ask true. you questions. That's true. What's the name of his girlfriend? I don't know. Yeah, me either. <laughs> <laughs> well, he doesn't actually have a girlfriend, right?
1: Right. Well, he he's trying. At he the has a crush. At the end, he does. Yeah. But that's the thing, like that whole, remember where they go out on that fantastic date and the snow sculptures and all that? It's like he's doing everything perfect, and it still wasn't right because he was trying to get something.
0: Well, let's back up because he doesn't do it right with her the first time. Like, he goes through a bunch of casual encounters because he realizes that he can, like, manipulate people. Right. And so he goes through most of the town's women. (laughs) <laughs> like at one point he even kisses the innkeeper. Really? Yeah. I the woman remember. who serves him breakfast Not every day gets right right. like this really wet smooch on her. But you know, he's, he's, it's all about himself. It's all about himself. It's all right. about himself. Right. And so he starts to realize that he can run moves on people and he starts to like, go and try. And then he goes again and he finally gets, but it's still emptiness. He still only finds emptiness. And then he thinks, well, Oh, it's her. He finally realizes that the, his co-producer, right. Um, The woman who. Oh,
1: well, his producer. She's the producer of the. Yeah. What's her name? The actress who plays that. Yeah. McDowell. Something McDowell.
0: Andy McDowell.
1: Andy McDowell.
0: And her, the character's name is Rita. Okay. So eventually he falls for her. She was a meter maid. What? Lovely Rita? Oh. Where would I be without you, um, <laughs> Druid
1: um <laughs> Druid? That's my other name, Druid. Yeah. Druid. Druid. Back to
0: paganism. The shining. No. Um
1: were uh, druids considered pagans?
0: Um If I answer that question like I know it's going to be a bad thing, I don't think
1: paganism. You know, Christianity is split off like Methodist, Protestant.
0: There's probably aspects of paganism. Absolutely, paganism is probably a derogatory term. I think Wiccan is more appropriate. So I would say that under the
1: pagans are found upon. Well, pagan is
0: a derogatory term that Christians used. Oh, really. So you're Wiccan, you're a Druid, you're all of these goddess that, religions. I'm
1: going to re-own that term.
0: Yeah, we should definitely get rid of pagan.
1: And- hey, what are you wearing today? What's the uh, green?
0: Oh, well, this is a piece of Maori jade. And it's a stone that's carved. It's traditionally worn by the warrior class. And when, you're, when you pass the initiation in the Maori culture, you can see that it's tapered, right? It's a little hard yep. to see that it's tapered. It's wrapped around yep. my neck. Yep. Yep. But this particular one is decorated, um, decorative. But when they actually issue it in the culture, it's sharp. And they you can use it, it to, to hunt. You could use it to hunt. It's It's got this little um, thing on the end so you can wrap the... The work, okay. the stuff around it, and attach it to things. Mm. And the way I got this was I went through a men's initiation, which was was long. It was like a six week process, and then it culminated in a five day workshop. That was every day. It was um, deep, deep work, men's work. And um, you know, do you know what dyads are? Where you pair off with a partner and you do exercises.
1: Well, I do now.
0: So it, we did all these dyads that were designed <coughs> to make us. More full spectrum men, more trustable from our all the way down to the lower chakras, all the way to the top of our crown chakra. So we we tested each other and we did breath work and we did all these things. And then on the final day, there was this ritual. It was a trust exercise and it was also a challenge. And so what we did was we walked miles along this rocky area in the middle of the night, we left the the trailhead at about 1030 PM on a full moon. And we walked for a long ways to this river and we came to this spot by the river and there's a natural hot springs there. And so we did a naked man in a circle kind of chanting ritual. We got in the hot springs and then we had to jump in the freezing cold river and back again. So at the culmination of this, um, that was the final thing. And then um at the next morning, which was Sunday, the next morning we had a session, which was um it's a three-phase breathing practice that has you go into a deeper su- um, state that often has with it these kinds of hallucinatory qualities. And so at the end of that, we had a big drum circle chant. And then we were given our our ritual maori jade um, which it's kind of a cultural appropriation, really, but it the kind teachers, <laughs> a deep practitioner he spent thirty years studying around the world it 's not like he 's a phony, baloney guy, and so he found something that meant something you know warriorship is the path of courage, but it 's more than just you know what we think of as gladiatorial courage. It's the courage of deeply exploring what it means to know your heart and to be of service and to be in a practice of awareness and um accountability. And so yeah, um I earned this, motherfucker.
1: Jumping in <laughs> That's what I got. Hot water and cold water. Standing yeah. around with a bunch of naked men.
0: Well, yeah. that was the last piece. The rituals of, of, uh, that went before that were way. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, you can just looking at me, you can uh, guess how hard it was for me to stand naked in front of a bunch of other <laughs> men.
1: Hey, speaking of that, <laughs> ground dog. <ding. laughs> no, speaking of that, how's your uh, workouts doing?
0: Well, um, I'm consistent.
1: Have you been going in the
0: pool? Uh, the pool isn't one of the things I've been doing, but yeah, my workouts have been good. In fact, I'm all, I have to take today and tomorrow and not do a heavy workout. Like I can't even walk at this point. My knee is so messed up. Wow. So um, I'm kind of on a a heal, a couple of days of healing because it was got so bad. I literally couldn't sleep last night. Um. <clears throat> And, um, I mean, enough about me and my jewelry.
1: <laughs> In your jewelry? So there was a brisk at the end of this men's thing?
0: I said jewelry. Oh. Uh-oh. A brisk is something else, right? Is that where they they take the penis part off and then you, you have yep. food together?
1: They lop off the penis. Yep. The whole I, thing. You
0: know, the fact uh, that you do that when you're, what is it, 12 or 13 when they do that?
1: No, right when you're born. Oh. For some I reason, did it when I was 13 because... I needed to become officially Jewish to get bar mitzvah at the shul we were at.
0: So you had to go to a doctor and have them do it.
1: No, I went to a rabbi, the the rabbi of the whole Los Angeles area, and uh, and I I had already been <clears throat> circumcised. So what they do to simulate Whoa. it is jab you, take a piece of the skin and there's a little.
0: So I got lost blade. in there. Like you said you had to get circumcised. But no, you I was act- already
1: circumcised. So okay. there was a um, sim- what would you call a simulation,
0: <laughs> a reenactment,
1: a reenactment. Thank you. That's what a, it was. There was a ritual torture. That's what it was—a ritual torture
0: designed to cause baby pain tears
1: and everything.
0: It's <laughs> designed to cause pain and contemplation of yep. the seriousness of the ritual. Yep. Yeah.
1: How bad do you want to be a Jew? Well,
0: <laughs> I'm willing to let you poke my penis.
1: Yep. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and learn to memorize some bits of the Torah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why I'm using a British accent for that. I guess because well, I I think of comedy as Monty Python, and I always fall into comedy. <laughs> my comedy voice is a, a British accent.
1: Well, they're a good comedic.
0: <laughs> That's a pretty good benchmark.
1: Yeah. How was- many of them were Jewish? zero i think really i think so
0: well there goes five
1: brits and a american
0: but they can't be jewish
1: i don't think they were i don't think any were
0: yeah mick and keith are jewish no they're not yeah no read the autobiographies
1: okay Keith's
0: autobiography they're both jewish
1: david lee roth's part jewish
0: how can you be part jewish
1: it's a good question
0: I guess be, the same way you can be part, you know, indigenous American. It's all right. bloodlines, right? It's not genetic, though. Correct. I'm really uncomfortable that we were supposed to be talking about Bill Murray. and, we're, and talking that that were, that we're talking you know, about Jews. No, it's interesting, tenology. though. It's like
1: Jew, the Jewish, whatever you call it, culture is passed down by the mom. So that's why I had to go through the ritual, because my mom was Catholic and my dad was Jewish. <clears throat> So I wasn't really Jewish
0: And you still aren't Now I am Now you are Yeah Interesting they So if you a If you go through But there was more to it than that What else did you have to do You had to learn to read it. all Didn't you have to cant the Torah And all but that I
1: was to get bar mitzvahed I, Yeah I was in Hebrew school for four years Not because of being bar mitzvahed Just was Something I was doing
0: What did you learn there
1: Hebrew Oddly enough <laughs> And,
0: you know, what, God, you can write the letters. Here you go. Get your pens ready. What did you think about Groundhog Day?
1: It was a very fine movie. Um, Wasn't a great investment at the beginning, but it paid off in the long run.
0: It wasn't a great investment for the filmmakers, you mean?
1: At the beginning, right.
0: It didn't do well in the theaters.
1: I don't think it did. I think that's one of those movies. You know what? Okay, now we're going to total left turn because of Meatloaf's As if passing. we have it
0: already. <laughs> Circumcision, Jewishness, checking, none of that's a left turn from, from Groundhog Day. I was okay. checking
1: out Meatloaf because of, uh, you know, his death. And Bad Outta Hell was given zero stars by Rolling Stone. <laughs> he said it was the worst album ever made.
0: Yeah. I can think of a lot worse.
1: Well, it went on to sell forty million coffees or something. Yeah. It's a fucking great album. Yeah. There's you know, Bad Album Hell is a great song. Paradise by the dashboard light is a fun song. That mm-hmm. I don't think anything captures teenage high school hormones better than that song.
0: Well, you know, Ferris better? Days Off is a pretty good catch. Which one? Paris Bueller's Day Off is also. No,
1: the song, <laughs> you monkey dog. <laughs> oh, back Ooh. to monkey dog. It's always a
0: good episode when I raid a monkey dog. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, we're on a roll.
0: What year in the Chinese calendar is the monkey dog year? It's like a leap year, right? It only comes every few.
1: Hey, you know what? I just found out. This is so stupid. This is how stupid science is. Well, We're not exactly sure what year that the comet came and killed off the dinosaurs. It was approximately 60 million years ago, but we think we know the month. It was in June. (laughs) Science. Well, that
0: must be because of some kind of plant fossil stuff, as if the seasons were the same then, like 60 million years ago. The wobble of the Earth had the same seasons. Like, how? No. You well, sure just don't That's
1: some great logic, and you know it's science. <laughs> People would trust scientists
0: more if, once in a while, they said, "I have no fucking idea. We're investigating yeah. that."
1: That's a guess. <laughs> well, you know what? We were wrong. The worth isn't really flat. You don't have to kill that guy. Okay, it's round.
0: Well, it's actually egg-shaped, according to them.
1: <clears throat> well, not quite like shaped. an egg, egg. I think but that's like... changed, Stephen. Now I've heard pear.
0: Yeah, pear-shaped. Depends on how many calories the Earth eats. Exactly.
1: (laughs) How's it feeling that day? (laughs) Is Mother Earth
0: feeling a little bloated?
1: You know, when June comes around, it's kind of a sad month for the Earth because it got hit with that big comet, and all the dinosaurs disappeared. (sighs) That always brings up a bad memory for the Earth.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I read an article that someone had excavated a, per, a frozen woolly mammoth that was relatively intact.
1: Yeah, that was and like
0: they're, a, they're trying to clone it like they literally yeah. want to grow new ones.
1: I'm Check like, this out. OK, because I was hearing today about. The possibility of regrowing limbs on people, which has mm-hmm. been a dream, and they just successfully regrew mm-hmm. a limb of a frog.
0: And well, frogs regrow their own limbs,
1: not this one.
0: You know what I mean, right? There, there. Certain no, no, they of...
1: don't. You're thinking of a lizard tail.
0: Okay. Well, I was just gonna say certain reptiles, yeah, regrow, certain
1: right? Which is part of you know. So, but when I went to get a root canal with Bodhi, she was getting the root canal, they gave her the option of either just filling it in with their like cement like stuff, or they have this new process that they fill it in and the body regrows the tissue of the tooth. Mm -hmm. And they said they've had like pretty good results. And I said, well, what's pretty good results? Like, you know, what kind of percentage is pretty good results? (laughs) And he said it's about an 85% success rate. Wow. That's yeah.
0: fantastic.
1: Isn't that crazy? Yeah.
0: I used to think that if I lost an eye, that my testicle would be a new eye, that it would just kind of come up and re- replace my new eye.
1: <laughs> okay. No wonder your sexual life has been what it's been. <laughs> I can see clearly now. If I lost my nerve my penis gone. would come up <laughs> And you don't want to think about when I got sick.
0: (laughs) I hear they can regrow hair too, but at this point I'm like, I'm at peace with it. So yeah, I've, for so long, I've heard the promises. I just can't afford the emotional um, baggage of believing them again.
1: <laughs> really? Did you ever try some hair No,
0: I, I seriously considered Rogaine at one point, and then I read that what it does to your circulatory system and that it, it's not a good thing for your heart. And uh, I was like, mm, yeah,
1: I'll side effects involved. don't seem worth it. That's so funny. There's like, it trips me out. Like it's common humor fodder, you know, for all these prescription drugs and the side effects. But it is a trip, you know, like. Not just, you know, take this happy pill, but you may feel suicidal. You may have runny diarrhea. You may bleed out of your eyes. You may, you know, like, God, (laughs) if any of these symptoms happen, call your doctor. Okay. Oh, my God.
0: Getting old sucks. I feel for people who are just like. They have to take five medications because I, you know, I got to the point now where I do, though. Well, they tell you you have to.
1: Right. They. The The doctors, doctors. they.
0: The white coats, as my friend Joey calls them.
1: Yeah. Joey. Joey Batanusa?
0: I'll leave their last name out of it.
1: It's because I don't
0: have. (laughs) Ooh, yeah, it is. Yeah. Anyway. And hey, when you about... think of
1: um, the passing of Thich Nhat Han
0: he was someone who really impacted my life without me being a disciple in the sense of you know Thich Nhat Han's disciples have done a lot of amazing work and continue to do the work um I was prepared cause I knew enough about what was going on with him to recognize that there was, that he was, you know, definitely ill and not well. And we're kind of on death watch for several months there. The two things that came up for me, well, three things. In one of my trainings, there's an hour and a half long lecture about beginner's mind that he gives. that's really powerful. Um, the other thing is that a long, several years ago, there was a um, report on Pacifica Radio about uh, some work that Thich Nhat Hanh did in the area of compassionate listening, compassionate speech, which is a communication technique. And he was developing that and he set up a, a monastery in Inder, India and then he brought in um, israeli teenagers and palestinian teenagers for these six-week immersive workshops with him around compassion listening to compassion speech and he tested it all out on them and apparently it really really made an impact and that um the hope was that generationally could it could evolve if they continued to and when i got deeper into the exploration of what it means to be a compassionate listener you know, the first thing most people do is they want to say that thing that's coming up for them. That's, you know, the thing they want to get out or whatever. And they immediately, when you do that, you're not no longer really deeply listening. And that was something that my father had said before I heard of Thich Nhat Hanh, that there's a a way that we can be receptive to the world that is provides us with so much more wisdom and so much more depth and this corroborated that. And so I started to practice it and started to get like a sense of, you know, how to really allow something to fully land before I respond. And then the other side of it, compassionate speech is using our words in a way that provides the most connection and the most communion and understanding as opposed to being right
1: that i was thinking about humor and um i think people who are happy this is going to sound so stupid coming out of my mouth but people who are happy are more prone to humor they're more open to it like i saw on tiktok this japanese girl she's you know teenage girl she did this funny video it's so funny you see the text above her like she's sitting in a classroom And it goes, teacher, who attacked Pearl Harbor? And she raises her hand and it goes, correct. And you see her go. You know, like it was so fucking funny. Because she's Japanese. Oh,
0: oh, oh.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You left that part out. Oh, I didn't. Okay, but you didn't hear it. Yeah. Yeah, she's Japanese. Got it. And I was laughing. I was like, that is so funny. And I wanted to share it with my family. But then I thought, I think there's some, potentially one member of the family who won't appreciate it. Right. And I was thinking, like, they're kind of Is this your example of compassionate speech, Greg? Yes, because we have to allow... This was this girl's joke. She made the joke. It's funny. It's brilliant. And there's connection in there. There is like healing and joy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So part of what I believe is important with compassionate listening, communication compassionate speech. speech is a connection can be dark humor. It can mm. be. You know, that is part of compassionate speech.
0: The final thing I wanted to say about Thich Nhat Hanh, since you asked, and it's it's important for me to get it, is that in the last couple of days, I watched another video where he explains karma. And um, there's a lot of detail there that I won't go into here. But the the thing that really struck me the most is the question of life after death, which we talked about a little bit in the former episode. And I wish I'd seen this video before that because I would have made the point then, but what is our continuation after death and, and there's measurableness to it. And it's, it's how people are impacted by us. So after we die, then our continuation is how we live within others. And that's in the form of memory, but it's also in the form of behavioral things that people pick up from us or resentments that they have for us, right? It's not just light, you know, it's, it's, and so that's like one level of proof for life after death, because we go on in each other's memories and in each other's mannerisms that we pick up from each other. Um, and I thought that was brilliant. And he, he had a really great explanation of karma in that. And uh, if you really want to check it out, go to my Facebook page, Mark Went Facebook, and look at what I posted about Thich Nhat Hanh this week. You can find it. Um, and that, you know, his gentle humor, he had some good humor. You know, he kind of s- smiles, um, but not overt, you know, not like big, belly laugh humor. But one of the things he said is that, you know, if you're meditating and you're not smiling, then you're missing something about it. If you're super serious about it and you're not able to find that space of the smile. And um, this isn't a quote, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, you know um, what I think about Thich Nhat Hanh.
1: Okay, for uh, audio podcasts, that's doing very little, Mark.
0: <laughs> I keep a red clown nose handy for these exact moments. It's right by my microphone whenever I need it. In that's fact, good. I'm going to put it here for the rest of my coaching calls for today. It'll just sit right there. In my
1: microphone. Now it looks like a Pac-Man eating your, your mic screen. Hey, <laughs> did you ever figure out your mic scene? The microphone? Uh,
0: yeah. What, um, what's going on is that the system sound is, has embedded it as the system mic. And so I go and I look and it says using the system mic. And I'm like, Oh, and then I go look at what the system mic is and it says, Oh, it's that microphone. So, All right. but I do want to upgrade my technology. Of course. <clears throat> yeah. I've been better, thinking about it.
1: Better, stronger, stronger, faster, faster, ground on day. You want to ground all day, your equipment.
0: No. Well, yeah. In the sense that one of the beauties of that film is the evolution of his consciousness, right? It's like he ends up realizing that being a better human being is, is the best possible outcome. And I love that about that film. Yes.
1: It's not even like he realizes it; he just becomes it, you know? Right. Yeah. That was super cool.
0: Yep. Harold Ramis, man, Ghostbusters, Groundhog Day. I'm sure there's other films.
1: Yeah, he's got Speaking the. Um, he's, he also has an Oh, he did uh, Stripes. With oh Barry. yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, no, he was in that. Yeah, he did Animal Farm, didn't he? Uh, you mean Animal House? Animal House, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think, I think so. that's
1: Harold Ramis. I don't know.
0: Should we ask Google?
1: Yeah. You are incorrect.
0: Google, who wrote Animal House?
1: No, not wrote it. Who directed it?
0: Harold Ramis, screenplay, along Uh, with Douglas Kenny and Chris Miller.
1: And who directed it? (sighs) I'm looking. John Landis. Yeah, that's Uh, it. Okay.
0: Famous for killing people with helicopters.
1: That's I was confusing the two because I was about to talk about the twilight zone movie, but that was John Landis. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Harold Ramis.
0: Yeah. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen the new ghostbusters movie, definitely Damn go not. see it. It's a gem. It is a total gem. <clears throat> and he plays a pom- a prominent role in it, even though he wasn't alive during the filming. <laughs> And his son wrote it and also directed it. And he really captured the spirit of the original film with the humor and the scariness and the lustiness and the you know
1: Yeah, I wanna see it. Yeah. And Ghostbusters has been all over the place. Chimney Christmas. Yeah. Caddyshack. He was he wrote Caddyshack. meatballs
0: Yeah, I don't remember that one. I don't think I've seen that. That's a good that's one to go and and watch because I'm sure it's hilarious.
1: It was. That was Bill Murray. Boy, he worked with Bill Murray a lot.
0: Yeah, they had a good rapport.
1: Yeah. I heard they had a falling out though.
0: Yeah, then, Bill was known for being a flake, man. He he would like not, he would like leave you hanging about whether he's going to do something right up until the end and then show up on the day as if he'd always promised to do it. Right. It was like, I haven't heard that. that. Yeah.
1: He already pushed people's buttons.
0: (laughs) He definitely did. Um, this story is from the first ghostbusters. Dan Aykroyd told the story and said that they had gotten money to do ghostbusters, but there was barely enough money to cover the production costs of it. And they knew that, you know, Bill Murray was definitely in the film, but the way the conversation had gone, Bill had said, sure. And, and accurate had said, well, we start filming on such and such a date. And Bill said, thank you. And then they, they didn't hear from him for like three months. Like there was no signed contracts. There was no like, and he basically just showed up for filming the day filming started in New York, but the night before, Ackroyd and all these guys, they're like, uh, what do we do? Like, is Bill going to come?
1: <laughs> Did he know his lines? I think
0: his lines were always non, were not necessarily his lines, meaning there was what was on the page, but with <laughs> Bill, it wasn't necessarily ever going to be that. Hmm. He's one of you know, that's one of his acting styles, apparently. And that, that impacted his uh, role in Scrooge because the guy he was working with on Scrooge, the director, could not handle that. He was did not like that one bit. Hmm. And it was hard for him to work with that. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I think when a, a performer is someone who you don't see in the the limelight a lot and is hard to get to and doesn't have social media that's very active, there's a reason. And it's probably because they have... Um, you know, tendencies that would be antisocial. And so they don't, they don't want to necessarily be seen that way.
1: I think Bill's case, because he seems there's all the, you know, they did a documentary about him and all the, like how he just shows up at people's weddings or he's bartending somewhere.
0: And that's all curated really well. But what we don't, you know, we don't hear about the, little kids who he gives bangs to while they're asleep or
1: <laughs> the circumcisions he does to 13 year old boys trying to be Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't hear about that. that yeah. of
0: Do you think Puxatani Phil is circumcised?
1: That is a great question. I don't think he's Jewish
0: file that under things. We never need to know the answer to <laughs>
1: And yet spend time thinking about, (laughs) oh, that could be a good episode. Things that you never really need to know, but still spend time thinking about.
0: (laughs) Oh, Lord. Let's just make it a sub episode of this episode. And we're done. (laughs) (laughs) Obsessions. We don't need to entertain.
1: Yeah, That'd be a good spot to end this episode right there. What? No. I'm not done having fun yet. The Quiet, concept of Paul repeating felt. something until you get it right. Yeah. Like I'm, looking podcast. My, I'm looking at my show notes. <laughs> Who's our producer? Art is our producer. Art, you're rehired. We need you. Where are you? Yeah. <sighs>
0: yeah. You know, I... I think Groundhog Day appears in other movies, but nothing will ever match the level of this film, Groundhog Day.
1: That is true. I just saw one, in fact, and I can't remember. But yeah, Groundhog Day. Boy, there's just something about it that captured it so on point. And the guy who plays the insurance guy from high school or college, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that guy was so
0: funny. Yeah. One of the things I think that Moped Outlaws should do is that, that every Groundhog Day from now on, we'll just play this episode.
1: Oh, I love that. That's a great idea.
0: Yeah. You love it because you won't have to actually produce and edit and upload it.
1: Yep. Just just (laughs) won't even have to show up. (laughs) <laughs> Our sponsors will be calling us. Um Yeah, it's sponsored groundhog by Groundhog,
0: day. groundhog, day. groundhog yeah, Food Day.
1: Groundhog food day.
0: <laughs> Apparently they with the, they're mostly vegetarian, but they eat insects.
1: Can you imagine going to Mill Valley Market? Excuse me, do you have any groundhog food? What?
0: Everything yeah. in their produce section is groundhog food. In fact, one of the things I read about the groundhogs is that they actually raid farmers' um, root vegetables and stuff like that. And it's kind of like, it's kind of a bummer. It's kind of a problem, which is why they probably formed the Groundhog Hunting Society back in
1: 1887. Right. It doesn't seem like Pennsylvania was known for its farming, is it? Now I'm just speaking like an ignorant. Well,
0: anybody, it doesn't matter where you are in 1887, you got a farm.
1: Really? They didn't have no grocery stores.
0: Not not enough.
1: Martha, go down to Whole Foods and get another thing of milk.
0: Yeah. We need some beets. <laughs> okay. I'll be back in seven months.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> How about some garlic? All right. I'll see you in a year.
1: <laughs> How about some sugar? Get the fuck out of here. Well,
0: that's what the beets are for.
1: Oh, yeah, look at that. Nice.
0: One of the th- amazing things about my garden this year was that the some stuff I just left after it did its thing and then to my surprise in end of December January it came up again. Like I wow. ho- got a whole bunch of um romaine lettuce that pr- popped up. And in fact it popped up all over the bark that's around my beds. So suddenly I had romaine like, lettuce geez. just coming up That's crazy. That just decided, okay, here we go. We're coming up. And same with my broccolini, like my broccolini died all the way back. And I was just like, ah, too lazy to turn the soil. And then boom, like three times as much as the original crop came wow. up. It was, it was interesting. It makes me want to be lazy and not do anything with my garden again. But of course oh. I won't, that won't be good results. I'm sure. But what was really mysterious was we got some really good heads of a Romaine in the front yard. And there were like two or three that came up in the bed. And then there were the little guys that were around. And I started noticing, like one day I'm like, wait, one of those little guys is gone. Like what happened? And I thought, Oh, something made it. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, one of the bigger ones, and then I was like, Whoa, there was one that was actually the, the smaller size one, but it was big. You know, it was like as big as half my head, whatever that is. And that whole thing was gone in one day. And then the very next day, the big one, which we were actually getting ready to make salads out of, was like, so some animal or group of animals in the neighborhood.
1: You don't had, have and, netting around it? No. You don't think a person came by and?
0: Well, if they were, if a person did come by and eat them, more power to them because that person is is probably pretty hungry. You
1: know, that romaine's not really a belly filler.
0: Well, this is, it. you know, oddly the romaine that you grow in our front front yard is like dense and heavy with nutrients. It's way different than the romaine we buy in the store, oh, which is much more water. Yeah, but the romaine here has like this body to it. It has this whole like. Level of stuff that's like more dense with nutrients. I think that's in
1: part because of the ground you give it, the soil.
0: Yeah, it's organic soil that's well, you know, well cycled and well kept. But I think it's also just the idea that it wasn't professionally farmed to be a certain shape and to be a certain size and rows and rows of identicalness. And it comes in slower, I think. And I don't fertilize, we just put good soil in. Um, there's this really great, Ooh, I don't remember the name of it, but there's this really great space in uh Sebastopol where they, every year they do this organic, um, compost that they have and it's the richest stuff around. And it's like starting in right at the beginning of March, late February, they start to sell bags of it and it's gone within like 10 days because everybody around here knows, how, how the good the stuff, stuff wow. is and one year we went and got we took the the top off my truck the the bed cover uh whatever bed cab whatever they call that stupid thing it was off cuz it was getting a paint paint repair and so I'm like well let's just take the truck and they scooped up the big scoop of it and dumped it into the back of the truck and that was, that was uh, it was a lot of dirt but um yeah that's the good stuff yeah <laughs>
1: Are you going to get some this year?
0: I think so. Um, I'm kind of challenged right now because, you know, like I need to do a bunch of weeding and there's no way I can weed right now. My body won't have it. My knee is messed up. It's really messed up.
1: Are you in a place in life where you can go to a doctor?
0: Well, yeah, that's the next thing right now. You know, I have a Tuesday. I have a discussion with my neurosurgeon about what's been going on with my body. and. I was after this call, after we do this, um, finish up this podcast, I'm going to text because I I'm, I'm, I have Kaiser. And so my doctor's available to me via text, which is really cool. And say, look, um, this knee thing's been getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And the more I work out, which is necessary for my health, the more my knee gets bad. So I think we need to look at what's going on. And I was talking to someone at rehearsal last night, we were rehearsing with um, the Upbeats. And of course, I was in massive pain during rehearsal and guy asked me what was going on. And he said, oh, well, you know, I had microsurgery on my knee and it fixed it right up. And he said they drilled three tiny little holes and attached a couple of things with and boom, I was good to go. The other thing he said, which I really appreciated was like this guy is he's like five, eight, Maybe 180 pounds, maybe 175, just very thin, but not emaciated, right? Rides, he's in good shape. And I was complaining about how I felt shame about having high blood pressure. And he's he's like, Mark, look at me. I have high blood pressure too. And he's in great shape. and And he's just like, it's just, that's what happens to us. I'm like, oh. And I felt this like release of shame and guilt about my behavior. You know, um, and another social media uh, activist that I, I I look at, he recently went and had a bunch of health examinations because he can't lose weight. He's like, does he works his ass off and he still can't lose weight. And so there's this whole emerging awareness that, you know, not everybody's meant to look like what we idealize. And even if you're in shape and you do the things, you know, um, but... Th- I'm determined to look different because I want the flexibility and I want my body to behave differently. So I'm going to change it, but I'm not going to pressure myself or shame myself. If the traditional means don't work. Right.
1: It's good. Yeah. I think, um, I firmly believe our mental state is, That our biology is a byproduct of our mental health, health, yeah, yeah. The beliefs we have about ourselves.
0: Yeah, I'm wondering what I'm protecting with all of this padding.
1: Your penis. (laughs) Yeah. Thank
0: God. For men, it always comes
1: back to the penis. You know, (laughs) I just was watching this funny Mexican. Show that's about food But it's all in Mexico and it's in Spanish it's brilliant though But they just had um, a Transvestite Was or transgender Person Making you know conchas. there's a distinction there Yeah I don't know Transgenders I think how she Called herself okay. anyway So she makes these conchos Those sweet rolls that mm-hmm. Have like the sugar topping Anyway And she was talking about the diversity of the world. And I, and I felt it in my body. Like, yeah, the world is diverse and it's okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Like we are so lucky that it's diverse. Can you imagine if it was like the same (laughs) every day was the same over and over again?
1: (laughs) I got you, babe. (laughs) Recording stopped.